I'm Chris Barris, and this is the Blues Podcast. Hey, Chris. How you doing, man? Welcome to the Blues Podcast. Nice to have you here on the sofa. Yes, thanks for having me. It's comfy, isn't it? Yes, very good. Yeah. Later on, I'm going to get you to lie down with your head on my lap, and we can, <laughs> we can really get into the grit of everything. But um, why don't we just start off with um, the early days? Like the real early days. You, now, you grew up in the southwest of England, right? Yeah. How did that work out for you? Um, I mean, it's, it was, I think it's a pretty good place to grow up, you know, spent a lot of time at the beach and things like that. And, you know, when the sun's shining, it's a beautiful place. <laughs> Is that very often? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um, but, you know, it's pretty tough when you're uh, a budding musician trying to make it. It's really good for, like, function bands and stuff like that because right, there's a lot yeah. of weddings down in the southwest. Um, but for original music, this uh, fuck all is, is crap. Yeah. Um, I found it really, really, really tough. There was no kind of like direction. And once I left um, like school, sixth form and stuff, and you know, I had these dreams of becoming a rock star. There was just no clear like path, right. you know? Was it, so was it a very definite thing early on that you like, you wanted to be doing your own stuff and you know, making your own music and your own identity, your own sound or, did you start off with a few covers at all? Or? Yeah, I mean, yeah, covers was like the main thing. I, you know, I, I look back now and um, I, I was a pretty shit songwriter. You know, the stuff I was doing when I was that age was was dire. Um, the cover stuff was cool. Like, I was in a band, um, I was about 16, 17. We started gigging around the pubs and stuff. We used to play like three, four nights a week. There was a really good scene at the yeah. time and um, we're earning good money and uh, you know I started doing some originals putting them in and it was okay but I said I, it was quite weak I was much more about like at that time more about like the performing I loved performing I wanted to be a rock star I wanted to be on the yeah. big stage I was very naive didn't realise like necessarily what it took to be there and um, and like I said I just didn't have have the the writing capabilities you know why, why do you think put that idea in your mind in the first place of like having this big idea of being a rock star? I mean, where, where did that come from, do you think? Well, I mean, I started playing when I was like five, six years old and my dad was in the cover bands and used to go and watch them and stuff. And I went to watch Thunder when I was nine or Thunder. 10. Yeah, yeah, that was my first big gig that I went to. They came down to Torquay, um, not many bands do. Um, played in like the local like exhibition center down on the seafront and um that was like the first i can still remember it now i still remember the gig i was the only kid there and that was the first time that i you know i'd seen something like that and i was like wow like this is this is what i want to do right and i i mean i, I was I, I was never under like any illusions like um i always knew that it would be like a tool order I always knew that the chances of me becoming a, a rock star were like slim to none I was never like oh I'm gonna be a superstar a rock star I'm gonna be touring the world and be doing this I never ever thought like that when I was younger I'd always wanted it but yeah. I never actually thought that I'd be able to you know I never thought I'd get to this level let alone anything higher right know? yeah yeah so when you first started out writing songs and like what, what sort of style were you writing was it sort of rock kind of stuff or, or were you into the blues stuff then and yeah I mean when it was a bit more just like poppy rocky there's always like blues elements in there because it's what I grew up listening to yeah. Um, but yeah it was a lot more like poppy rocky do you know what I, it was it was kind of like a mishmash like I said like a really I had no idea who I was as an artist. I had no real direction. I'd just write some riffs and write a song and the lyrics would all be just cliched crap. And, you know, there wasn't really any, like, particular sound. It was just like, yeah. a little bit of everything um, at that time when I was younger. It was only once I'd come back and I started writing songs, like, for me and, like, more as, like, um, more as, like, an emotional thing as, like... Uh, like a release or something like, like a that. therapy almost yeah yeah, yeah that's the yeah. word that's right yeah yes exactly um you know so once i stopped like with all the fighting stuff and i just started writing some songs again and i just found that I had more substance there i had uh, more meaning and and what i was doing 
was kind of a bit more purposeful and a bit more, um, I don't know, like, yeah, it sounds a bit lame and uh, again, like, but like almost like I found myself, like, you know, as, as an artist, like, right, this is me, this is what I do best. And, you know, and I didn't have to really think about it. It was just like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what I mean. I think once you start writing that, those, you know, that kind of that outpour of stuff, that, that I think that's when people start to listen and actually identify with it. Yeah. Because, like you say, you can write songs when you're young and. You know, you go through all the cliches, don't you? But, you know, I woke up this morning and <laughs> my baby was gone. And and it's, it's um, the irony of it is, at 16, is you probably haven't had any clue of what that sort of feeling is like anyway. Like, you no. know, you know, you still live with your mum. It's more like I woke up at lunchtime and my mum's dad's done me washing like, you know? It's like, that would be a much more realistic song, wouldn't yeah. it? But did you guys, did you do any demos real early on? Yeah. Um, do, you we, still, do you still have them? Do you still listen to them? No, <laughs> I couldn't. No, I couldn't. <laughs> um, yeah, so we... Uh, it was a lot harder back then, like, to record and, and things, you know? Like, these days, everyone's got a laptop with, yeah. you know, Logic or... Bedroom Studio, or, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. But back then, it, it, there, there wasn't. People were, like, starting to get into it more... You know, people were popping up with their own stuff, but it was still very much a thing like you had to have money to go to a studio to do it. I'm going back like what, eighteen years or something. You know? Um, so I, I didn't have much money to get any studio time or do it properly. And we were playing in a a bar one night, and there was this guy dancing all night, and he was he was in like this white like linen like yeah. suit, and he had a red <laughs> wine, and was like really tanned. And he was dancing around, and we were in like this really rough, like pub in Brixham, like absolute shithole. And um, he came up to me after and was like, "Look, I'm setting up this music company. It wasn't. It was a bit of everything, like management, just help promote bands. And you know, he was basically just like a massive music fan. He had a little bit of money for. He, he did work on like yachts and stuff like. That. He still does actually. I spoke to him the other day, but um, and you know." Giving me his card and um, I thought nothing of it. I gave him my card and about three weeks later he rang me up and said, oh, you, do you remember me? He met me in the bar. I was like, do you have um, any demos or anything like that? And I was like, nah, I just haven't been able to afford any like, studio time. And he's like, right, well, I want to pay for you to go and do a, a demo CD. I was like, right, okay. okay. And <laughs> he was like, Matt, and he, and he did. And we went and did that. And then when we were in the studio doing that, I can't remember, it was like four or five track EP or something, I don't know. Um, and he was like, do you want to go to the States? <laughs> like 18 years old, he's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Because um, he had a few contacts out there because he'd spent a lot of time in the States doing bits and bobs. And um, so he set up this like East Coast tour and we recorded in Philadelphia. Um, we ended up doing two tours and recording an album there um, divided between the right, two yeah. we did like five tracks first time six tracks the next time whatever um, and yeah so you know I was doing that at like an early age so yeah there were CDs but it just the thing was we with the covers and stuff we were doing we had like a great live show you know I, I was a very energetic front man and um and people used to really like lap that up, but the original material wasn't strong enough for right, it to yeah. ever get anywhere, you know. At the time, I didn't realise it had a lot of people around me saying like, oh, you're going to be a superstar, you know. And you're 18 years old, like, you believe it. You know, mm. I start to think, oh, you know, shit, I'm going to be a rock star. And then things didn't work out and it didn't go to the next level and we were all kind of like, well, what do we do next? And then, you know, I just didn't want anything to do so, with the music industry after that. Do you remember a sort of point? Do you remember a, a particular time when it, when you realised the reality hit and you thought, shit, this is not going to happen. This is actually much harder than I thought. Do you remember that? Yeah. Was there a, like a moment or a, was it just a gradual? It, I mean, it was kind of gradual. It just kind of like just fizzled out and it was like, well, we don't know what to do. Like, you know, and, um, you know, looking back now, knowing what I know now and, you know what I've achieved and how I've achieved it. You know it's blindingly obvious why it didn't work. It's easy to see it but, from this know, side, the, isn't yeah, it? But yeah, it was, yeah, it was a learning experience. But it, I, you know, I really became like uh, disappointed, and you know, I just didn't. 
I always had it at like, the back of my head, like, oh, I want to, you know, I'd love to give music another go. But I was like, I don't know how to do it. And I don't know, you know, people back, you know, again, back then it was always like, well, you've got to live in London. Right. You know, yeah, you have to yeah. move to London. And I was like, how do I move to London? Like, I can't afford just to go and live in London. What am I going to do when I'm up there, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I just quit. I was doing, for years, I carried on just doing like cover band stuff and doing um, weddings, functions, all that stuff. And it's quite, you know, soul destroying. We'd have some good nights, but, you know, sometimes <laughs> yeah. just like, you know, you'll always get people go, oh, why don't you go on X Factor or oh you're really yeah. good you should be doing bigger gigs you should, why, like, why aren't you bigger you should be bigger yeah, you're, you're so yeah. good all it's that just stuff <laughs> and if, oh, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> and that's obviously when I went off and I did all the the fighting stuff and I wasn't really I just didn't really write anything I, I was writing a lot of instrumental stuff I got quite into Widdly Diddly bits and bobs and it was a bit like fusiony rock fusiony little bits of like funk jazz elements in there and um i choose to do that just for a bit of fun um but never i never recorded any of it properly right yeah you know yeah um but yeah so i was yeah it's it's funny it's funny like the turns turns that we take and Absolutely, um yeah, yeah I, mean, I remember my dad always used to say to me like oh really wish you'd you know, you'd give music another go. Like you should, you should be doing that. You were yeah. like wasted playing in these bars. I was like, remember, I still remember having a conversation with him. We were in this pub. It's called the Spinning Wheel, and it's got it's like a local live music hub in in Torbay. Um, they have like entertainment seven nights a week, and it's where you know all all bands in the area want to play. You heard it here first, kids. All right. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, and I still remember the conversation. We were there, and and maybe we finished the first set or maybe it was the end of the night it was something like that and we'd had a really good gig there was some quite like magical music moments musical moments and um, I remember we saying oh, you know you, you should wish you could like have a go wish you could be doing something like bigger and I was like how do I do it and we just looked at each other like no idea like you know um, and I think when I eventually came back round to it it's a lot easier you know, I recorded my first like demo EP album thing. It's like eight tracks in my own home studio. Right, yeah. Did my own videos with like a cheap video camera and set Facebook page, got it on Spotify, did all the stuff. And then I can just send a ton of emails out yeah. to different promoters, different things, you know. I remember one day I sent out, I can't remember the exact number. It was something like 241 emails <laughs> in one day. And I think I got three replies. And that was a mixture that's of everything. That's pretty good though, like right? I was sending it to <laughs> anyone and ev everyone that I could just find. Like I, I had this big uh, spreadsheet of emails that I just kept collecting for everything from record labels to agencies, to festivals, to local promoters, venues. Yeah. And I just blasted it out. Got three replies, but every one of them turned into something and then developed from there. Right. I mean, so that's, that's it's quite uh, it's quite amazing you've got any replies really you know in, in the music industry usually you send out emails and it's like nothing phone up nothing it's like, I think you did really well there <laughs> what um what was the thing the, the initial spark that got you back into the music because you I mean obviously you sort of took this sort of break where you weren't really being that creative what 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 was the thing that really kicked it off again for you well um so I'm still gigging in the covers band and we uh we were playing in the spinner wheel and, and there was one one night um, I had a, a depth drummer join us and um, I had my friend Ricky on bass um, and we we just kind of said like let's just do a load of blue stuff tonight I was like I just want to do a bunch of blue stuff so we bust out like Stevie Ray Vaughan and Freddie King and different stuff like that and um, John the drummer like he, he was a different drummer to what I, I usually had um, and he was like really into bluesy stuff and it just kind of like worked and we finished that and I mean it was, those gigs were always just like a bit of a piss up it was nothing serious right, yeah. you know and um, we'd had a great night and we kind of all just like looked at each other and were like we should do this like let's do this and then I, I just started writing some songs and um, Ricky the, the bass player he's like I'm best mate and um, I'm godfather to his two kids and um, he was kind of like a real important part in getting me started he like really encouraged me and like really helped um in the early days a lot he's like you know you should do this it was his idea to say oh call it the chris barris band like let's make it yeah like you you know and um and we did and, and we got started it's but I, 
I don't know what happened. I just, it was just one day. It was kind of around this time. It was kind of around Christmas period. Didn't have a lot on. I had like this little studio space that I used to rent. And I just remember sitting down there and I was just playing around with some riffs. I hadn't done that for like 10 years, really. And I was like, oh, this riff's quite cool. And then I was just like, you know, just enjoying like the bluesy stuff, playing that stuff again. And um, it just kind of took on its life, its own life from there, really. Right, yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about blues. Let's uh, what's uh, what are the big blues influences for you? You know, I'm not really like a traditional guy. Like I, I'm not in my my playing. I love it. You know, Robert Johnson, Elmo James. You know, Muddy Waters, um, BB, all the Kings. Yeah, all the Kings, um, all three of them. Right? Yeah. You know, for me, like what first got me into it was um, Gary Moore. Okay. that was my first introduction, you know. I, I think a like, lot of people like that, aren't they? They sort of start off on that rock blues thing and then they start digging and think, oh, where did that come from? Where did that yeah, come yeah, from? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Well, obviously, you know, I was like six, seven years old, you know. What I listened to was what was in my dad's record collection yeah. and um, he was a huge Gary Moore fan. So, you know, we had, I used to go through his vinyl, we had Stones, Deep Purple, Rainbow, Boston, and that's kind of what I grew up with. Those were the bands I liked. Um, with Gary Moore, uh, I remember my dad had a, like a videotape, VHS. I can't remember what it was, it was Gary Moore and, and he had um, Albert, Albert Collins play of him. Right, nice. And um, that was kind of like the first, and BB King. I'm not sure if they were on the same one, I might be getting confused, I was a kid. But that was the first time I'd seen these guys that like, actually like do the proper yeah. blues. Um, and then I had like, <laughs> My dad had the Blues for Greeny album that he did. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and that was when I first heard these kind of guys. And, you know, back then, obviously, you didn't have the internet. You know, it was quite limited. But when, when I was, like, I don't know, maybe, like, sec just starting secondary school, so maybe I was, like, 11 years old, something like that, and starting to, I was allowed to go downtown on my own. I had my yeah. pocket money, and I used to buy a CD <laughs> every week. I remember there was, like, a second-hand record store, and I found... Um, Steve Ray Vaughan, Texas Flood. And that was kind of like my first discovery like on my own. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've always, I've always liked the blue stuff and I've always appreciated it. But like me as a player, I've, I've been influenced by so many different people. You yeah. know, I got, so I was really into like classic rock and every year I used to get one of those um, compilation albums on like cassette it's like best rock anthems ever I'd get one every normally like, like a double cassette yep. and I'd spend the whole year like rewinding play rewind like learning the licks um, and that's kind of what I, I grew up with then once the internet became a thing uh, I was probably uh, mid-teens maybe by the t early mid-teens by the time we actually had a PC at home and we had the internet um, they'll dial up broadband. No, broad, not broadband, just dial up. Just dial up, yeah. Horrible. <laughs> We're like, no one yeah. else in the house could use the phone. Exactly, yeah. You're on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get out of here. <laughs> well, um, and then I started finding, like, you know, I'd read like magazines and you'd hear names like, you know, Joe Satriani's the best guitar player in the world, Steve Vai's best guitar. And I was like, who are these guys? Like, you know, I'd always thought Gary Moore was the best. Um, and then I started listening to this and I was like, what are they doing? Like, I've never heard anything like this on a guitar before. And I kind of, when I was about 13, 14, I was pretty good. Um, I was a pretty good guitar player in the rock blues genre. I could, you know, play everything. I was, I was pretty proficient. And, you know, I kind of thought I knew it all. You know, because everything I could listen to, I could play. There was right, nothing yeah. that I could listen to on any of those uh, compilation tapes that I couldn't play. And then when I started hearing like Satriani and Vi, and I was like, "What the fuck is this? Like, I can't play that. I don't even know. I don't even know <laughs> what those start. sounds yeah. are. Like, where's that coming from?" And I discovered those guys, and then Malmsteen, and then I got even like even deeper and got into some of the more like jazzy fusion guys, like Greg Howe and. Tony McAlpine and, um, and guys like that. And then I went even more like proper jazzy, Kenny Burrell and Wes Montgomery and Joe Pass and started like really getting into those guys, like my late teens. So I've, I've really tried to have like an eclectic like mix. I've never been like an amazing jazzer. I've, I did 
couple of years, I did quite a lot of jazz gigs, duo, trio, and like quartet stuff. Right. Um, I was always a blagger. I'm not. A, yeah, yeah. I'm not a jazzer. I can blag. I can read music. I can read charts, and I can. I know enough to be able to follow, you know, a, a chord chart with with licks and and uh, it to sound like I kind of know what I'm doing, yeah. but no, like real finesse. Um, but yeah, so all these kind of things have always uh, have like shaped me. Yeah, you know, I've, I've always I've always liked guys that. Um, I don't feel this way about my playing. I'm not so like me, but I've always liked guys that really like push the boundaries. You know, yeah. like I said the first time I heard Steve Vai and, and Satriani, I was just like, just couldn't even. What is this? Yeah, couldn't even <laughs> compute it. And you know, I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it was like for me, it was kind of like it was a moment where I was like, oh, I'm not actually that good. Like, there's there's stuff out there that I just don't know how to play. You know, and I just hadn't been exposed to it. I didn't. You know, it's so much easier now. We've got everything at our fingertips. Yeah, yeah. Everything's in our face. It's all on our little devices in our pocket. Pocket computers. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was, it was different back then. It was just names that you'd read in a magazine. And, you know, if you didn't go out and buy a CD, you know, 13, 14 years old, I didn't have loads of money. I couldn't just go and buy tons of CDs. You know, I could buy... Yeah, I mean, you literally had to one, pick one, one a week, didn't you? And it was like, you took a chance on that. Yeah. Never heard it before. Take yeah. a chance on it. It's like, <laughs> now you can just instantly download anything you know just by speaking the name really can't you it's, yeah it's a very different world isn't it yeah coming right up to date now with what you're doing now i mean obviously you know you've sort of blown away the blues market completely um but i mean you've got so much more to your playing don't you how do you how do you see how would you sort of categorize yourself musically these days you know i don't want to like pigeonhole myself to anything you know i don't like being called a blues guy because mm. I don't feel like I'm a blues guy. Yeah. I know blues guys, you know, um, real blues guys, um, and I, you know, I don't like like that. It's definitely it's um, there's definitely a large part of the blues community in the UK that have rallied behind me and like become great fans, and and that's that's great. I love that, and there is the blues influence there, but you know. I, People say, oh, blues guitarist Chris Bass. I always like cringe a bit. I'm like, oh, I'm not. Because I know, yeah. you know, I play with Billy Gibbons. That's a blues <laughs> yeah. guy. Like, right, you know, yeah. that's that's a guy that lives and breathes it. And I, I, you know, I almost feel like a bit of a, a bit of a fraud. You know, I'm like, I don't feel like I'm deserve, deserving of that. And, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily like what I do. You know, it's such a, more of a broad thing. But, I like. I just think people could categorise me however they want. You know, it's right, music. Yeah. You know, it's there's riffs. There's, there's two solos. types of music, right? There's good and there's bad. That's yeah. it, really. Isn't <laughs> it? Um, so you know, I, and I do see like, you know, my fan base, like people that come to see us and stuff, and it's quite a like a mix. I've got you know rock fans, you know, that maybe seen us like support like Blackstone Cherry or anything like that. Yeah. You know, and they're like more like heavier rock fans, but they kind of latched onto what I do a little bit. Then there's blues fans that maybe like, you know, some of the, I think the diehard blues people, they, you know, they wouldn't have ever liked what I do. You know, it's not, I, I can't see it appealing to them, but I mean, some of the more open-minded ones that are into the more rocky stuff too, they've definitely come along. And then I've got quite a lot of um, just like guitar, general guitar player fans, right, you know, yeah. guys that just like guitar music, like they're players themselves. And, you know, I get a lot of messages from, from guitar players and and things like that, and so that's that's quite cool. I quite, quite like that. Do you ever get? You must always get the question. You know, I get this all the time. People come up to you, and go, "Oh, my my son's learning to play guitar. What what do you, what do you think you should do? What's, <laughs> what's your what's your advice for young guitar players?" Yeah, I always say, "Don't do it." <laughs> <laughs> um, I always say to get a good teacher. Right. You know, I think um, I, th I think. The internet's great for learning and, and things like that, but I think for a child, that that should like be like supplementary. You know, do your extra stuff, go onto YouTube or or whatever else you do to learn. Um, but I think you know, a good teacher. I I had I had a couple of really good teachers when I was younger. Um, I I had one guy. He ended up moving away, and um, I've never seen him since. So. You were that bad, were you? <laughs> <laughs> Scared him away. But, I mean, he was great. He, I was, like, you know, nine, ten years old, and he had me, like, sight-reading and, and just, like, fluently sight-reading at that age. Right. And then he moved away, and then I just kind of stopped doing it. And I had to, like, relearn when I was doing GCSE music. I had to, like, really 
like knuckled down it and I was like I was better at reading music you know because he was just such a good teacher he got me doing it all um, and like really structured and yeah he was called Gary I don't remember his surname but um, <laughs> Gary, but, yeah, Gary if you're out there get in, touch, out there. Eh? get in touch get in touch well yeah he, I mean he was great uh, I had a couple of really good teachers um, who brought like different things and that's the first thing I say to anyone like get a good teacher it will make a difference someone that can put the structure in there because guitar playing isn't easy yeah, you know, this well, it depends how good you want to get if you just want to struggle. You make some. it look easy though, but, it's, 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 uh. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's the first thing I always say. Don't forget, subscribe to the Blues Podcast. All right. So let's talk about guitars a little bit, because every time I see you on stage, you've always got something a bit tasty there playing. What's uh What's in the current guitar collection? So, um, at the moment, I've been playing uh, Seth Bacchus guitar. So he's a custom uh, builder down in um, Cornwall, he's based. Right. Uh, it's just one man operation. He builds them all by hand. And um, yes, so he's built me two now. So I've got a, just a, a that's not a normal guitar, but just a standard, you know, guitar um and i've got a baritone as well which tuned to nice. c which is pretty yeah. cool um the the normal guitar is um it's his his model but i chose all the bits i want to have right, it's called yeah. a nautilus and um yeah it's pretty cool it's uh it's got a chambered body so it's like hollow on the inside and flame maple top um swamp ash body it's incredibly light Really, really cool. Um, mahogany neck with a ebony fingerboard. Um, Benacle pickups. So, yeah, it's a great, great, it's a work of art, you know, it's a yeah. great bit of kit. Um, and the baritone's really cool too. It's uh, went a bit more uh, basic on that one, so it hasn't got like the carved top or anything. It's sparkly silver. Yeah, um, love it, love it. But I mean, that, song, that, that guitar's great. I mean, uh, I'm sure you've probably have the same thing, but, when you get like a new guitar, you know, it kind of like inspires, Yeah, you yeah. know, brings something out, you know, and I've been writing loads of songs on that guitar and I think it's going to be the sound of the next album, whenever that is, right. will, will, will be that guitar, I think. It's, um, it's definitely inspired me for, for a lot of stuff. Um, it's weird though, because I've got, I've got my custom shop Telecaster as well, which I love dearly. And I've got a 1984 Strat that I've had since I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, it's really hard because you can only play one at a time. It, well, exactly, and I always yeah. feel yeah. like <laughs> I'm like cheating. And I got a, um, the past year I've been using a Gibson ES335 as well, right. which is awesome. Um, but yeah, it's just really hard. I always feel like... I don't know how Joe Bonamassa does it. Every every week there's a new post of a new amazing yeah. guitar he's bought, and I just thought, I just yeah, I get I get anxious. So you know, I miss playing my Telecaster, but if I play that, I miss playing my Bacchus, and it's just yeah, like, yeah. I, I bet he can't even remember all the guitars he's got. Like, you know, he's like, <laughs> I, I reckon he probably could. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon he probably could. But. Do you remember the very first guitar you got? Yeah, it was just like. A, I mean, I started, the very, very first one was just like an Argos special. Oh, nice. Little three-quarter classical thing. Yeah. Nine um, on strings. Was it? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. And then I got, I had to prove myself on that, that I was going to stick with it. And then um, I just got, you know, like one of these, actually it wasn't a start pack, it was just the guitar because my dad had an old amp combo that he let me have. Um, and it was an Encore Strat Red. Mm. Uh, white scratch plate um, and that's what I started off on just a little Strat copy and then I moved on to he had it for himself actually I, he bought it just on a whim it was in the second hand music shop that we had used to have in town it was a Hona Revelation it was quite a rare guitar it had 27 <laughs> frets oh, really? Yeah, a really weird guitar wow um, and he bought it he liked the neck and he actually gave that to me probably when I was about like 9 or 10 he let me have that um, and that was my main guitar for quite a few years until I got a seven string. I got a seven string when I was 15. It was a Jackson Dinky. We oh, had to special okay. order it. Right, there wasn't yeah. many people that had seven strings back then. Yeah. You know, you're going about 20 years. <laughs> um, Corn used to use them. 
Fear Factory, and I was quite into like like metally stuff um, around that like fourteen, fifteen. I had a bit of a metal phase. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they, and my dad bought me bought me one for my birthday, and he never had. They, my parents never had a pot to piss in. They weren't, you know, they had to get it on finance, and uh, yeah, it was amazing, really. <laughs> do you still have those guitars now? No, <laughs> you got rid um, of them. Yeah, I the seven string just. I mean, eventually I ended up taking the seventh string off and using it as a six string. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, uh, it's yeah. a bit weird a seven string, isn't it? It, bit... <laughs> if, if that's what you do, yeah. you know, if if you're in corn or you know, like these days, like see some of these crazy Instagram guys on like eight string, but it's like it's what they do with their instrumental stuff and they use it all and it's great. But if you're just playing covers in a bar, seven string doesn't really work. Right. Know? Yeah. 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 I was I always think it must be easier with more strings, surely. But... Because to get that sound on like less strings is, is harder, isn't it? You know, when you break yeah. a string at a gig and you have to carry on playing, that's harder. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, I think if you spend the time with it, it's like, um, you know, I used to play, I, I played bass every now and For a while, I was playing bass in a band and I went from four string to five string. And at first, it was just like this string, it was just like a thumb rest. Right, yeah. But then once I actually started using it and like, you know, realizing the possibilities and how much easier it made things you know if you was on a normal four string and you were playing up here and then you'd have to come down here on a five string just do that you know it'd be the same on on a seven string guitar but i'd never really spent the time with it yeah i had a bit of like a metally band uh when i was like 14 15 just a school band and we used to you know chug out like heavy you know, new metal kind of stuff. Um, and it was great for those kind of riffs. That's all I ever used yeah. it for. I didn't really get into it for like the lead playing and, you know. But. Is there a, a guitar these days that you sort of aspire to? You think, oh, you know, that would be the absolute holy grail if I could get a hold of that. Yeah, I'd love to get um, something vintage, like a proper vintage, proper, proper vintage Telecaster. Right, yeah. Um, I'd love to. I, I played... I got a friend who's a guitar collector, and he's got a, I think it's a 56 Telecaster. I think it's 56. It's um, incredible. I can't remember the exact year. It was 50s. It's sometime yeah. in the 50s. Yeah, I can't remember what it was. But it's just like unbelievable. Like, it's just so. And when you play it, like you can just. I don't know. It's just got so much character. That worn in feel, isn't it? Yeah. I'd love to be able to afford to get something like that, like a nice collector piece. And yeah. Not just, I don't want it, you know, I want to play it. I don't would you, it would you take it on the road? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if, I'd, I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to. I mean, it gets a bit tricky, doesn't it? Because with some like the older stuff, um, if you've got like an all original, you don't want to be like wearing the frets and anything like that. Like I, I was on tour in Italy last year um, with Supersonic Blues Machine and, we did this like clinic kind of thing. We played a little bit and we spoke loads with like Billy Gibbons and um, like a mass class kind of thing at this really big, amazing music shop. I can't remember where in Italy it was or what it's called, but I mean, it's, it's probably the best music shop I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And they brought out um, a broadcaster and it was like number 13 or number oh, 14, wow. like ever made. <laughs> And I was like, oh, how much is it? And they're like, there's no price. It came out of a vault, yeah. like underground. They brought it up and I played that. The thing is, they got to put such light strings on so you can't like, wear the frets. And the frets were already like right the way down. Wow. I think I had eight gauge strings on to save the frets because it was just, you know, all original. They yeah. just didn't want it. That's, so that's the tricky thing, I think. If you get something like a, a fifth, if, if you get something and you want it to increase in value and have it as like an investment then I don't think playing it on the road is yeah. too wise I mean Joe does it doesn't he I, I, he plays his older yeah, stuff he's got an army of people to look after them, hasn't yeah he? Kind of like, you know, with, with Bernie white plays his doesn't he as well yeah of course yeah beast. I mean the beast yeah it's uh, still going strong isn't it mm. but uh, yeah it's I, I think I mean I'm, I'm you know in two minds as well a guitar is sort of has to be played, doesn't it? But then again, you don't want to wear it out. So where, yeah. where do you draw that line? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Yeah. Difficult one. Oh. If anyone can uh, help us out on this, write in to the Blues <laughs> Podcast and let us know what to do, eh? Um, okay, let's change subject completely now. Let's, because um, you recently got married, didn't you? Yep. 
just well, it was earlier this year. Yeah. yeah, this year. So how's that working out for you? Yeah, it's good. Is it yeah, all right? She's a diamond. Yeah. Mrs. Barris, how's the how's how does she enjoy the music? Yeah, so, I mean, she's she's not a musician herself. She's into like all sorts of of music. Um, we share some tastes, some we don't. But uh, I think you know. Yeah, she, she loves live music. She loves coming to watch me and going to festivals. Does she come along on the road often with you? Or she just... doesn't really come on the road. She's got her own career and right, she's, yeah. she's got a good job and she's she's amazing at it. Um, so, yeah, so no, nah, she doesn't. She, she's flown out to, to like, uh, we did a festival in Madrid this year, Supersonic. She flew out to that and bits and bobs she'll come to. Um, but yeah, it's quite hard to get the yeah. schedules to line up. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you're being away from home quite a lot now as well. At the moment. I mean, is that is yeah. that okay? Is that yeah? It's I mean, tough. The modern technology helps a little bit, right? But yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's we both agree that it's actually like really healthy, healthy because we, you know, the time apart, we kind of like really appreciate each right. other more. Like Absence when I'm back, it's still right? hard. She gets she gets a bit twitchy around the uh, once it gets like ten days, two weeks kind of like oh, I want you to come home now so if we're doing like a three or four week like stint and like that gets a little bit harder um, but yeah I mean it's easy for me to say but I, I mean I, I think I prefer it I mean before I was a touring musician and I was working at the gym we could go like two weeks without a night together right, or anything, yeah. you know we'd live in the same house but I'd work like kind of like split shifts at the gym so I'd do like PTs in the morning do my like one-to-one -one sessions in the morning finish around lunchtime and then I'd be home and then I'd go back down to teach like the public classes in the evening get home nine o'clock half nine or whatever it would be go to bed because I've got to be back down the gym seven in the morning <laughs> yeah. so you know we could go quite a long time without spending any time together but then like now like, you know I finished touring I'm at home for three, four, or four weeks it will be by the time January comes around. So I've got a month off where I'm at home and I can fit around. There's yeah. little bits, you know, I'm up here. I had to come up here and talk to you. Yeah, I know. But yeah. um, little bits like that. But yeah, it's we get a lot more like actual quality time. I mean, we just, last week or the week before, I think it was last week, we just went to Spain for three days. Right. You know, she had a week off work and it was just like, you know, booked in and... Um, I was like, let's just go somewhere. And we just looked through the flights. It was Monday night. I looked what available flights we had <laughs> on a Tuesday that had to come back on the Friday because I had a gig in France on the Saturday. Um, and the only one that kind of tallied up was going to Malaga. So we went there for three days. You know, we could do yeah, things yeah. like that, which if I yeah. worked to the gym, I wouldn't do because yeah. of like, well, I've got classes, you know. And when I was self-employed, um, you know, you don't really, well, I definitely didn't, I didn't ever take any holiday unless it was like a, we've booked to go on holiday yeah I, I wouldn't have any time off i'd never take a week off and just sit at home you know yeah so we actually got, i think we get a lot more like quality time you know yeah, it's tough i miss her i miss the dogs but ah uh, yeah <laughs> how does she get on with all the uh the extra female admiration that you get on, on the, <laughs> like the bras and the underwear being thrown on stage yeah, and stuff all this kind of thing I'm not sure there is much um, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know she doesn't make an issue of it she's very supportive and um, yeah maybe inside there's something I don't know but yeah she's great she's really supportive of it and she's seen me obviously when we got together I was Chris Barris the yeah. cage fighter you know fight promoter fight coach um, so she's kind of seen seen it from the start and um, she's proud. She's seen how hard I've worked, and she's seen it build up from, you know, the very, very beginning. You right. Know. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, mentioned it a couple of times. Let's, let's talk about the Supersonic Blues Machine. Yeah. Uh, you working with those guys now? How did that come about in the first place? Well, obviously we're on the same label. Yeah. Um, and they, uh, Lance Lopez, who's their front man. Um, I'd left the band he wanted to concentrate on his solo stuff and um, they were looking for a new front person we didn't know this it was all kind of you know behind the scenes secret it wasn't public knowledge but they were they had a tour booked and they were playing at um, Shep's Bush Empire yeah and so um, my agent at the time was pushing for us to be the support act then it kind of all came out it was like well we haven't actually got a front man they've seen some videos 
Um, guys from the label got involved, Majin got involved, everyone kind of got involved and said, look, Chris could be the right guy. They saw some videos, they liked what they saw, and we had some phone conversations. Um, I went out to LA, had a, a jam with them, met up with the Reverend himself, yeah. Billy G. And um, yeah, it's just, it, it, it's gone on from there. Was it, uh, was it was it supposed to be quite a high pressure gig going into to that surely yeah the I mean the first gig that we did at Shepherd's Bush Empire yeah. you know it was like I think I was there actually oh was cool it? yeah it's um yeah probably the most nervous I've ever been for a for a gig but it was the nerve level that I had was was the same as like when I'd had like title fights. Right. Um, it was the same, you know, I had that adrenaline and, you know, it's like, it's like yeah, I could like feel it all course. I still remember it like backstage and I was thinking, shit, I'm on in 15 minutes. Like, I was doing my vocal warm ups and I could just feel like adrenaline just surging through. Like, like I was about to have a fight. It felt exactly the same as like my pre fight routine. And um, I kind of applied the same mental things that I used to you know I would always like tell myself like you know it's it's not nerves it's your body just getting ready for battle it knows right, you've got yeah. something big about to happen <laughs> it's just getting ready to help you through it and make sure that you know you're 100% and and I felt great as soon as I stepped out and we started the first song it was like you know it was just great and I love that gig it's you know it'll go down in history as yeah. one of my best ever I think well, everyone was behind you, and you know, everything. Yeah, come on, Chris. Yeah, I think it was quite good that it was like in in the UK. I mean, right. I, like most of the crowd probably didn't even have a clue who I was, but you know, the there were an element in there that knew of me through the Chris Barris band, and um, I could definitely feel that that energy and that love there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think the best thing is that you've taken away from the, the Supersonic Blues Machine? What's What's been the the thing that's really the money learn the money <laughs> there's money in music what, where did this happen um yeah i mean i mean all jokes aside actually like that band has been like a savior for me you know the, the kbb's like a growing concern you know and uh, it's cost cost me a hell of a lot of money and it's been really tough and it's getting okay now but you know the past three four years have been like really really tough that band because it's already established obviously we've Billy Gibbons in it. We, yeah. We're headlining huge festivals. The money's you know pretty good, and those you know one tour a year with them uh, was enough to mean that I didn't have to work full time anymore. Right, you know yeah. that could pay for me, that would cover my bills, and I hadn't got to worry, and I can just concentrate on the KBB. So it was actually um, a bit of a lifesaver for me. I was at a bit of a crossroads. So I was like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to carry on because <laughs> yeah. I wasn't home enough to be doing my job properly at the gym, um, and that was starting to become an issue. And it kind of came along at the right time. And, and so, yeah, it was on the business side of things, it was that and raising my profile. But on like a personal level, you know, uh, personal development, playing with those kind of guys, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's mental, isn't it? you know, yeah. it's just crazy. I never ever thought I'd ever, you know, I used to play ZZ Top covers in, in pubs and I'm playing right, ZZ yeah. Top songs with the man that, <laughs> you know, wrote of... them. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Um, and, you know, Kenny on drums as well, such a like iconic drummer yeah. and as a session guy and hearing his stories and, and hearing how he's had to adapt to like the music industry because it's changed a lot, it you has, know, and it's it really has. interesting. Yeah. And, um, yeah, all those guys. It's 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 a really like interesting gang to be part of. Mm. Just talking about the music industry and how much it's changed. Do you think it's changing for the better? And are you kind of glad you've gotten at this point, or do you think the glory days were like back in the seventies? It's really hard to say. I don't think I don't think I'm qualified enough to to comment on that. In my in my experience, back what we were saying earlier, like. I didn't know what to do when we didn't have the modern era, when we didn't yeah. have the internet and I couldn't just record things myself into a, a poor standard, but you know, an acceptable standard yeah. where I can send it to people and they can at least get an idea. I didn't have those like facilities, but in the modern era, like everyone does. It's easy to do, it's easy to put your music out. Um, and I wouldn't have got anywhere without that. So I'm kind, I'm a product of the, 
the modern era. Right, you know, yeah. I made my own videos, um, I recorded myself, I put it out there, um, blasted out emails and, you know, and it's all things that I couldn't have done back when I was younger. Yeah. And, you know, and that's when I was like, what do I do? <laughs> I'll move to London. I can't. Like, that's it. That was the only answer I could ever get, you know. I, how do I yeah. make it in this industry? And I, obviously, like I said, I look back now and, you know, I wasn't good enough. I, I could have moved to London. I wouldn't have done anything, you know. But, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm a product of the of the of the modern era I think um, so yeah I mean maybe not like the 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 latest obviously like now you've got people that are making a name on YouTube or whatever or yeah, that TikTok seems to be a, or whatever the latest thing, right? like, yeah. app is yeah. you know so I'm not quite the latest <laughs> um, but you know the, the fact that you can record at home so easily and so cheaply and you can put things on Spotify and iTunes and all this stuff yeah. and Music videos, or, you know, if if you spend a little bit of time and you can you can do it with an iPhone. You spend a little yeah. bit of time and you know that's all you need, isn't it? <laughs> Just a phone. Um, so yeah, <clears throat> and a guitar maybe. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So what? What? Um, I mean, you know, when when was it? The Chris Barris band actually kicked off. It was about 2015 when the first album came out. Yeah, yeah. So it was around. It was Christmas 2014 that I started writing some tunes. I recorded uh, the demo when it was like 2015, I can't remember the month, April or so, I don't know. Then the following year is when I did my first proper album, yeah. April 2016, that was the Lucky 13 album. Right, yeah. Um, and that's when things really started moving. Um, I spent a bit more time on the videos for that. The production was better, I brought a keyboard player in, um, I had a different drummer. And, and the keyboard player was much more skilled than me at production and things like that. So he helped helped with a lot of that. Yeah. I recorded everything in, in my own like little studio I had. Then he like mixed and, and 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 did the finishing touches, and it made a big difference. And, and that for me was kind of like the album that people started like their ears started yeah. picking up and going like. I remember oh, when I was oh, at Team oh, Rock, okay. I got the album, and I, I thought actually I thought oh, this is really good. It's, it's just slightly different from everybody else is doing it I thought yeah, yeah I really liked it as an album I thought it was great so. yeah it kind of it definitely served its purpose it got a few people to just like prick up their ears and then and start asking questions and you know like, oh, is this an American band or you know oh, yeah. all this kind of yeah. stuff and um, obviously you know I've got a bit of a different look to most people in like the UK blue scene and you know all the yeah. tattoos and stuff I, you know a lot of people are like oh you look like you should be doing heavy metal and <laughs> um yeah so it really that that really got things moving it it got me into um you know like a few different blues festivals and that you know, that was my only goal that was my only goal when I started the band I just wanted to do a few gigs um to people like to like appreciative audiences cuz I played in pubs and you know Spin a wheel in the summer, you'd have 500 people on that. Yeah, right. But it's 500 people that are there just getting pissed and they're, not there they're only music. going mad because yeah. you're playing Superstition Sweet Alabama. Yeah. That's the only yeah, reason yeah, they're yeah. going mad, you know, not because of me. Oh, I know this one. Oh, yeah, that's great. That exactly. Is. You should be famous. You should be. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But I wanted, you know, I wanted to like sing my own songs and, and have people like listen and really appreciate it. And I remember like, I did my first ever gig of that kind of type of thing was like a, it was a blues festival. Um, near Bournemouth, it was called Blues for Langside, and I remember when I got booked for that, and it was just off the back. I mean, that was before Lucky Thirteen actually, and it was off the back of a video that I put out on Facebook and was sharing it everywhere. And someone saw it and said, "Hey, do you want to play at this thing?" And we went. I was so excited; it was my first ever like proper thing. I think there was like sixty-five people there, and I absolutely loved it because it was sixty-five right. people that were sat there watching. Yeah. You know, and applauding. Music, right? I'd yeah. finish a guitar solo and then like start clapping. I'm like, I wasn't used to that, you know. Yeah, and then you yeah. come off and then they're buying CDs and yeah, it's like I don't, you know, like sixty people, seventy people, or whatever. And and that's all I ever wanted to do. That was my own only ever yeah. goal. I just wanted to play to some people that wanted to listen. And it, this now I mean, what yeah, I mean, become you've smashed not, that now right I mean you know so yeah. where, where do you go from now then what's 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 next yeah the goalposts keep moving yeah <laughs> um, yeah it's, I, don't, I don't know you know it's, I just want to keep pushing and um, keep trying to 
get into the bigger festivals, get to the bigger venues, and um, just keep growing the fan base. That's yeah. all, all I want to do, you know. It's, um, yeah, it's, I'm just gonna keep working hard and doing keep things. Plugging away, eh? yeah, keep plugging it. away, eh? Keep plugging away. I've got a question that I'm gonna ask for, to everybody who comes on the Blues podcast now. And uh, I want you to think about, um, it's, it's, it's the last day of the world. And, uh, and despite all that, forget, forget all that, but you've been booked for a gig that you've got to go and play. Now, who would you get to play in that band and what would be your opening number? God. Uh, dead or alive? Um, well, I think it's, it's, it's the last day of the, of the earth. I think, I so it has to be people that are still alive now. Maybe you can have some holograms, like, you know, because it's slightly in the future. <laughs> so, you know, it's... Uh, God, I don't know, it's a tricky one. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> I've stumped him. you stumped me. <laughs> um, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I love playing with the guys in my band yeah. now, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I just, who... I mean, back in time, you know, obviously I'd love to have played with Gary Moore. Right, yeah. I'd love to have played with with Hendrix. That was always one. Yeah. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure. What song? I'd want to play one of my own, you know, because I'd get so much more satisfaction out of that. And the royalties, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Even though there's a... Well, we wouldn't get it because the world's ended. Oh, yeah, yeah. PRS are not that quick. Yeah, they're not that quick, are they? (laughs) Um, You know, I... I get so much more enjoyment, you know, whilst there's tons of better songs out there, I, you know, I get more enjoyment playing my own stuff. So I'll go with Hail Mary and I'll go with my own band, maybe with a special guest. Who should we have special guest? I don't know. Let's just have it. It's my own band. It's my own band playing Hail Mary. It's pretty good, eh? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's... that's... If I could have dead people, I'll have uh, Hendrix and, and Gary Moore up there with me. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be nice. Chris, it's been absolutely awesome talking to you, yeah, man. Cheers, Thank mate. you so much for coming on the Blues Podcast Thank and you. having a chat. I've got one... Actually, got one more. We've got one more special question for you. Oh, right. Joe Bonamassa. In a fight, who would win between you and him? <laughs> Oh, it'd be close, um, but I reckon I could just pip it. You reckon? If guitar battle, or maybe not, but if it's uh, think, good old-fashioned fisty Joe, cuffs. look at that 1958 Les Paul. <laughs> Bang! <laughs> He'd be what? <laughs> I, rec- I reckon I could probably take him. <laughs> there you go, Joe. <laughs> Let's set this up, shall we? <laughs> probably not in a guitar battle, but good old-fashioned fisty cuffs. I reckon I'd win that one. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Thank you.